thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hello there, superstar listeners. Thank you for joining us today on Wellnessman Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And I am, I feel awake now after that little, um, your very excited and energetic little welcome there. Ash, thank you. That has helped me. <laughs> Woo, yeah. <laughs> Ladies, welcome to another episode of Wellnessman Radio. Make sure that you have subscribed to us on iTunes or Spotify or whatever it is that you are using to listen to us. And can you please do me a quick favor and just go and rate us on iTunes. Five-star ratings, please, because we love those because this is what helps us to stay in the top top of the charts, ladies. So thank you for that. Um, let's talk about unexplained infertility, Ash. Dive right in. Why not? It's uh, <laughs> it's something we, we get a lot in practice. So I can't believe we're just about on 200 episodes and we hadn't done this. I think we've kind of gone around it in so many different ways, but we haven't actually hit it right on, on topic and gone, let's do a whole episode on this. So um, yeah, I think, you know, for, for most of us, when it takes longer than, it sh- you know, you feel like it should to get pregnant, the first thing you want to know is why. You know, the first thing we all want to know is, why isn't this working? Uh, particularly if you're having unprotected sex and you feel like you're timing your cycles and you're doing all the right things and you've got your partner, you know, you feel like your mojo's all together. Um, and particularly with all that positive intention put in the right places, um, you know, and lots of, lots of love time, it can be real, really disheartening to think, why isn't this working? Like, you know, my friend just conceived or um, you're looking at someone who you might consider completely unhealthy compared to and contrasted to you with your lifestyle and you think, but hang 
thing or why can't we conceive? What's going wrong here? So um, first thought is, you know, is it him or is it me? You know, there's, there's often those conversations of like whose fault is it? Who's, you know, who's causing this part of it? To that next step of going, well, should we be getting tested or should we keep trying or should we go down the path of reproductive support or do we see a doctor, do we see a specialist? It's really those so many questions come up and uh best question to ask is well what's next you know what do we do from here um so Andrew let's have a chat about that because one of the the things that I hate to say it can be really positive about unexplained fertility if someone gets that diagnosis um generally speaking there's been a good raft of tests done on the physical sense you know checking in on the body making sure things are working so it can be a quite a positive thing to rule out uh serious diagnosis and serious prognosis issues that Mm. uh exclude fertility as an option but it means there's a lot of guesswork going on as to what actually is happening yeah and i i I think it's comparable to like this diagnosis of like ibs like if you've got irritable bowel syndrome and it's just such an umbrella umbrella term that encompasses so many different like issues and possibilities and syndromes and everything else that it's sort of like to me almost feels like a bit of a lazy diagnosis. And just because like, for example, in an IVF setting or an assistive reproductive technology setting, they can't find the cause of the infertility doesn't mean that the cause doesn't exist. And it's simply a diagnosis of exclusion based on some, you know, quite quite frankly, rudimentary tests. And the emphasis um, for that diagnosis or, um, you know, to get that assignment of the title to an infert- infertile couple is really based on um, the quality, the quantity and the nature of those applied diagnostic tests. And I guess the um, diagnostic acumen of, of whoever is performing them in the first place. And if you don't fit that, you know, criteria that comes with maybe just doing a semen analysis, assessment of ovulation, um, and maybe checking tubal patency um, and excluding something like endometriosis, if it doesn't sort of tick any of those boxes and it's not some sort of genetic cause, then you're put into this category of unexplained infertility. And this is what we see so commonly, probably more common than anything else that we see um, when it comes to fertility challenges in practice is, you know, women coming in and it's it's usually women who will come in and, and be proactive about this and maybe they've gone down that IVF route for sometimes years without success and they were never given any kind of answers as to why it wasn't successful and it was simply just that diagnosis of unexplained infertility. And I cannot imagine how frustrating and disheartening that must be. Um, but at the same time when, and it's hard for women to get their head around, but I really um, try to give them hope when they're given that diagnosis of unexplained infertility because this is where I really think functional medicine absolutely shines because I really do think that there's now functional challenges going on that can absolutely change. And the rates of pregnancy and live births when it comes to unexplained infertility are actually much better than if there was some other sort of diagnosis. Absolutely. And I really love a quote from a reproductive scientist that was saying, everything is unexplained unless you actually try to make the effort to explain it. In other words, it's just <laughs> such a simple statement. Is It's like, yeah. of course, the whole globe, the whole world is unexplained. If you want to just label stuff, it's all unexplained unless you make the effort to explore and to understand and to uh, pursue further 
investigation until you can explain yeah. it. And I thought, how simple is that? Uh, in summing up his journey down his pathway as being a reproductive human reproduction scientist, I thought that's quite comical and that's his focus point for the research that he does because he's like, well, it's easy to just say something's unexplained. But don't you want to know why? Um, so yeah. thankfully there's a lot of great people out there. And like you said, functional medicine is certainly providing some incredible answers that uh, I think in the last few years have certainly started to shine as number one options for the solutions that couples need to conceive and to fall pregnant and sustain that pregnancy. So when we talk about unexplained fertility, Andrew, maybe we need to explain what that even means because, you know, it's like, what, is it after a month of trying? Is it after <laughs> two months? Is it six months? Uh, generally speaking, they talk about a unexplained fertility being 12 months or more mm-hmm. of intercourse trying um, unprotected sex so that there's a likelihood of conception. Uh, you can't conceive if you're not actually, you know, trying within the windows that is possibility for pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and statistically speaking, they've uh, postulated there's around 48.5 million couples globally affected by this. So it's a significant yeah. number of, of couples, a significant number of people. Um, I'm not sure, you know, definitions here are a little bit blurry. I've, I had tried to see if there's a bit more of an explanation, but I, I think this is referencing specifically heterosexual couples. Um But, of course, there's a lot of couples that are going through this experience um, and not necessarily heterosexual, so that number might even be higher. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how that would affect statistics, though, because technically wouldn't wouldn't there be barriers to fertility? Well, the reality is if women's health is affected, you think about just how we look at the women in our practices. If their body is not ready for conception, then you can try IVF again and again and again in, let's just say, a, a homosexual couple, which is what yes. I've witnessed in practice, and still fail to conceive. You. Do you see where I'm going? Like, <laughs> yeah. but I think what I felt like the statistics were overlooking some really obvious couples that I have in my practice. I'm like, but these women are still trying and there's still unexplained fertility, but because they don't fit the model of heterosexual couples with these statistics, they kind of being left out in the dark of like well that's just the way it is i thought that's really unfair i actually do wonder if um that is taken into account with some of the stats that we have around this to be honest because um my thoughts are that it wouldn't be um and uh not by the definition right because yeah protected sexual intercourse it's not um you know assumptions there are being made so i mean that's a by by a line that's just me being curious about how we get to all these numbers as a scientific thing to make um Mm -hmm. as well ash um, and when you put that into perspective, the 40-something million that you were saying, that equates to about 30% of infertile couples. Mm. So it's actually like when, if you say a quote-unquote infertile couple is presenting to, um, you know, a medical practitioner wanting assistance with this, what, one in three of those they don't have an answer for as to why things aren't happening. And um, in... Australia, the term infertility is normally, like true infertility is normally given to a couple if they've been trying for two years without any um, any conception that's happened along the way. And 80% of couples will conceive within two years without um, assistance, which I think is really, really good stats. Mm. Um, obviously, it changes as we age and if there's anything else that's sort of a barrier to that. Um, but the unexplained infertility is also given at a much shorter time frame once we get over 35. 
Um, Because, you know, we're so old and um, 35 in reproductive years is considered geriatric, although they are changing the terminology around (laughs) that now, thank goodness, um, because I think that's so derogatory. But um, they they normally say that after six months of trying, if you're over 35, then then that's that's the time to sort of get things cranking as well. Um, And... The, the term literally unexplained infertility is usually given once, you know, it's either after that time frame or if you present to, um, say, a fertility clinic and those tests are performed that I listed um, earlier and if there's not a very clear, obvious reason or those assessments come back, you know, being abnormal, then that's when you're given that title of unexplained um, infertility. And generally speaking, that really only leads pathways towards IVF. Um, in our experiences or conversations with women in this situation, uh, generally speaking, I think the first line approach is uh, IVF as the only treatment option that someone might have, which is really tricky because a lot of people financially, you know, may not be able to access that uh, that support. Um, government in Australia does have some support structures there financially, but there's a limitation to that. So. So how many cycles can you do before that um, that budget is is mm-hmm. exceeded? Um, it doesn't cover. There's a lot of other out of pocket costs. So there's still a lot of stacked up medical bills on top of that. So for some some couples, that's just not not a not an option. Um, but then, what are we willing to do for you know the opportunity to be a parent? Uh, that's one of those great things, isn't it? We'll sell everything we have if it means we can achieve the family we desire. So I think there's a little bit of that uh, lack of interest in really finding root cause because there's a monetary way out of it sometimes for um, health professionals seeking and treating clients for this particular process. I think that it's uh, it's easier to go, sure, sure, we can help, as opposed to saying, well, what, what could we actually do differently right now before we start this more invasive process of IVF? What do you tend to find, yeah. Andrea, as um, the most successful pathway in your practice experience? Oh, to conception? Yeah, I think a proper assessment mm. um, of the couple, so not just the woman, not just the man, of the actual couple, which involves a little bit more investigation than just, you know, making sure that a woman's tubes are patent um, or doing like a very rudimentary sort of semen analysis on on the ma- on the man. And that doesn't mean, you know, doing really weird and wonderful left field testing, but it does mean looking at a decent hormonal panel. It does mean looking at um, things like mineral and vitamin status um, and things that are as simple as looking at vitamin D because that ha- plays a huge role in fertility. Um, and it also means having a different filter when you're actually looking at these tests and in particular, it could be a different filter looking at the semen analysis as well. So just because um, the man is making sperm, so technically there's sperm there that would be, you know, it's simply there, which means that conception is possible, does not mean that the quality of that sperm is good enough to actually, you know, create life. And I think that that's a really important distinction because so often I'll see um, semen analysis where the morphology, like the normal forms of semen is like 4% out of the whole sample. And that is Mm. not good enough. And the uterus is actually an incredibly hostile environment and the stars literally have to align 
for an embryo to start developing an implant and then for a, you know a live pregnancy to result from that. And there's been studies that have um, been done that shows that if you were to implant um, a fertilized egg into other parts of the body away from the uterus, it could survive at a much better rate than what it does in the uterus. And that, and I'm not sure if we've talked about this before on the podcast, but this is part of, um, I think, natural selection at work. And I think, um, you know, just part of our evolution as as humans. And I think the uterus is, is part of that selection process. And it does make it that really hostile environment so that um, things are top-notch, which I just think is absolutely amazing. Um, and, you know, as, as it should be as well. But that's why really crappy sperm testing is not good enough. So there could be certainly a functional, you know, male hormonal issue going on there. That means that sperm quality is quite poor. Um, there could be problems with egg quality as well. So, and it's it's the same um, for women as it is for men. So just simply because you've ovulated does not mean that that egg is optimal. Um, and there's so many other factors that sort of come into that. But um, to answer your question without sort of digressing um, too much, although I feel like I've gone down the rabbit hole a little bit there, is um, it's it's so important to have that proper assessment of fertility potential and health because it is, um, you know, a, a couple's ability to conceive really is such an important reflection of their overall health and well-being. Um, and that assessment means that you can then look at an individualized sort of treatment plan for the couple that's applicable to their unique needs rather than um, possibly presenting to a fertility clinic and being told, we're not entirely sure what's wrong, so we're just going to throw a bunch of treatments at you and just see what happens. Um, yes, those no, exactly what you said, Andrew. There's so many factors that they overlook some of the more obvious ones to us as functional medicine uh, practitioners when we sort of those questions around stress responses. You know, how's the body handling stress response? Because obviously, conception um, when our body's under a state of threat response is less likely. You know, they're, they're sort of obvious things, and even some of the interesting cases with clients that I've had at work discussing immune function immune system function and how that immune system is literally attacking uh, any embryo that is implanted because it is yeah. so heightened. There's so many things going on there. There's the highly inflamed. Uh, so some of the approaches that those women have taken have actually been to suppress or reduce a hyperactivity in the immune system, lowering mm -hmm. inflammation through diet and through other lifestyle choices, including supplements and herbal support. And then it's led you know, directly to the pathway of positive uh, pregnancy, which is is super interesting, particularly when the only path I was given was IVF. So it is a really, really interesting topic. I think it's uh, always one for hope and opportunity to do things differently and better. Um, I don't think the gold standard should be straight to IVF, given what we talk about and what we see. And even just your statistics, like you said, Andrea, that if you wait two years, the likelihood of conception is still high. So sometimes yeah. it's time and patience uh, that's the big, the big player in this as well, which unfortunately in our busy well today a lot of us women want time not to be you know the defining factor we're like no we want it now we want our children two years apart we have this grand picture of how our family is going to look and how how our life's going to roll on and time is the thing we don't want to give to the process we want it to happen now so uh, that can be a tricky one to overcome because there's a lot of obviously emotional psychological stuff that's attached to that as well so yeah lots of and lots of aspects to this one 
And Ash, that's important because, um, for example, I was reading a, a systematic review and meta-analysis from the Human Reproduction Journal, um, which is one of my favourites, by the way, and um, the study was titled Age-Related Natural Fertility Outcomes in Women Over 35. And so it was essentially looking at um, this age-old question of um, fertility and ageing and whether or not it is appropriate to continue to give our patients the advice of um, what's, and it sounds very clinical, quote-unquote expected management, which just sort of means keep trying and wait, um, or is it better to advise them to go straight down the IVF route or the assisted reproductive technology route? And um, the review, um, and this is very high-quality evidence because it is, you know, that systematic review and meta-analysis in a really well-reputable journal, um, it states that it's currently unclear as to whether or not a system of reproductive technology, including IVF, actually adds any meaningful increase in the live birth rates on top of what would be natural fertility. So if a couple was just to continue to try naturally for certain diagnoses such as unexplained infertility, so mm. which means that, you know, on average couples will conceive um, after eight cycles of IVF, eight, eight rounds of IVF, which is a lot. That is a long time. That's a huge amount of hormones, um, hormones medications, mm-hmm. um, you know, complete physiological disruption and a huge amount of money. Um, and on the flip side of that, the statistics were pretty much identical if they tried naturally and within the same time frame. Um, so... We're, we're still just not sure whether or not going down that IVF route for unexplained infertility straight away is actually going to improve your outcomes. Um, in, um, in medicine, when they're dealing with unexplained infertility, the hierarchy of the treatments that they try is, first of all, um, they look at lifestyle changes, which I think is amazing for the most part, but it's, that's usually reduced down to do you need to lose weight or do you need to quit smoking? Mm. Um, which obviously are two very, very important things and can make a really big difference, but I think that that's far too simplistic. Um, they then give them the option to continue on your own for another six months to a year. And then, um, which of course, if you've been told there's unexplained infertility, usually you want more information or some sort of treatment option. And so the next thing is they use drugs like Clomid or other gonadotrophins. Um, they'll try a different form of it, of um, intervention, like maybe IUI or intrauterine insemination, for a few cycles. Um, and if that doesn't work, then they'll go straight to IVF for another few cycles. And then um, if there's potential changes in the sperm, then they'll try ICSI. Um, and then finally, if there's still nothing that's happening, they'll look at third-party um, IVF treatments that might mean um, either egg um, donations or, or sperm donation or something along those lines. So um, I just I think there's not enough inclusion of other possibilities and also, like, certainly other diet and lifestyle and other sort of health factors that need to come into play here. So some of the really um, switched-on fertility clinics that um, I've had experience with do look at things like egg quality and, um, you know, they do try and um, look at ways to improve sperm quality, which I think is amazing. They'll also look at if there's any immunological causes for the infertility. So, 
you know, does a woman have elevated natural killer cells? Are there autoimmune conditions going on as well, which I think is so, so critical. Um, and then, you know, they might look at other things like genetic factors. But I want to um, take it further than that and then also look at, okay, so we're looking at the quality of things. What about the quality of the cervical mucus that the woman's producing? Um, because that's so important for that nourishment and transport of the sperm in the first place. Um, what about hormonal function? So, yes, are we ovulating, but are we actually making the right amount of hormones at the right time, which is obviously going to affect egg quality? Is there enough um, progesterone there, which is going to affect implantation or increase our um, miscarriage risk and those sorts of things? Um, has there been toxin exposure? And is there consistent toxin exposure in the environment, which is inhibiting um, production of hormones and sperm and that sort of thing? So there's very good research that shows that um, toxins such as BPA really impacts both male and female fertility potential. Um, and then just from there, like, are there things like subclinical hypothyroidism, even celiac disease, which has been shown to affect um, fertility, um, lack of sleep. So um, there was a really interesting study that's come out that shows that even just um, there's this inverse relationship between sleep and fertility. So the less sleep you get, no way. Is there an inverse relationship with fertility? Uh, I'm explaining this wrong. So the more sleep deprived you are, the less chance you have of conceiving. Um, and then also, as we talked about before, looking at functional vitamin and mineral deficiencies. So even a relative vitamin D deficiency is going to dramatically affect egg quality. Um, it's you know, it's still a hormone. It's going to affect um, thyroid function and everything else along the way, which we know is essential for fertility potential too. I think that's no, that's a really, really good wrap up, and um, it's certainly in keeping with the research and the references that we found across the board. Particularly things like the pollution, the BPA, eighteen thousand couples in China, those living in higher moderate level levels of small particle pollution had a 20% greater risk of infertility. Um, so, yeah, there's clearly environmental associations. So these are why we have so many of our episodes dedicated towards how we can clean up our life, the low-tox living approach, how we can remove environmental toxins to enhance our opportunity not just to conceive but also to raise a really healthy child, You know, the opportunity to have a, a little human we create not flooded with toxins prior to, to birth. So, yeah, there's lots of things we can do. I think for me personally uh, we've had, we had sort of a, a period of time with, uh, I wouldn't say, unexplained fertility we thought we were able to fall pregnant but it just wasn't happening and I definitely can feel the frustrations of of other friends and women I know going through that feeling of like but why why not me why not now I really really want this I'm doing everything right so it is it is an incredibly frustrating journey and I think that's the the big thing we do recognize with something like unexplained fertility that it's not just the physical side of it of wanting to conceive and doing all the right things for our health but it's the mental emotional side of it it's the frustration it's the anxiety it's the sometimes depression connected for some women that it's not happening so it can really make them feel sad and down and uh it can affect the interpersonal relationships in the couples you know the expectations that are not being met the disappointment every time you have a period thinking oh yeah yet again it's and i think that's funny because we spend so much of 
our life as, as practitioners celebrating the cycle. But I can tell you when you're going through a cycle um, of your life where it's infertility is a challenge, you actually don't want to see a cycle. <laughs> that would be the most exciting thing that can happen. And yet at all other times, we want that, that menstrual cycle as our report card. So I definitely can understand why women will sometimes not seek further answers because when you want the here and now and some, someone says to you, IVF is uh, is the way to go, it can be really hard to say, oh, well, I'm going to do, you know, check with the allergies, check with the immunology, check with this, check with that, because that all seems like a long time. It all sounds like, oh, I'm going to have to do a lot of stuff first, uh, as opposed to, well, if I just go and see an IVF specialist, then we'll have a baby soon. So yeah, we hear you ladies, we do understand, uh, but we also strongly encourage you to continue to investigate root cause, get to the source, get to the reason why, uh, to hopefully prevent you flooding your body with unnecessary pharmacology, you know, not flood your bodies with the, uh, the hormonal changes that are going to occur through IVS processes. Yes, there is possibility and hope, but we have to be patient and we have to find the right workups. And I think the long story short of tonight's episode and uh, Andrew said it so beautifully is you have to do the right tests. Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's that age old um, adage of test don't guess. Yes. Uh, and I think that this is super important, especially when it comes to like having a proper fertility workup as well. And funnily enough, um, when it comes to this, a standard fertility workup is just with a GP should be much more extensive than just a normal sort of biochemical blood test um, or, sorry, health check. Um, and if you want more information about that, feel free to get in contact with us and we can let you know the sort of things that would be standard. Um, but, uh, you know, it's great that GPs tend to be a little bit more exploratory when it comes to this. Absolutely. Do we have any parting words of wisdom or uh, this is what you can do right now? Because we usually like to round out our episodes ah. with uh, here's your takeaways from today. What can you do right now to, uh, to, to take some value home from this episode? I think from my perspective, um, the one thing is to understand you're not alone and to continue to seek the answers through appropriate testing uh, and to certainly not persist with, for example, reproductive cycles through IVF if you're not getting outcomes and results because like you said Andrea eight cycles is a really really long time it's a really really expensive process particularly if other underlying causes have not been addressed and if you're going to go through all that finance and potentially heartache that could be avoided by doing the right testing and getting the right changes um, before you even approach the IVF pathway then I would strongly encourage you to try those things. And, you know, if if you do need to go down that route, we're, we're so supportive of that. Um, however, there's things that you can do to hopefully make sure that it's more successful a little bit quicker. Absolutely. And, again, just because, you know, you haven't been told that there's a cause for the subfertility, and I even hate calling it fertility, but for that subfertility does not mean that that cause doesn't exist. Um, so, you know, working with someone who is going to, do a proper investigation, take, you know, a proper health history and look at your diet and lifestyle and everything else that's involved with conception um, is so worthwhile. And often that can be done in conjunction with um, assisted reproductive stuff as well. So it doesn't mean you have to go one way or the other. No, not neither or approach. Yeah, yeah. You can and have and. the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, all right, ladies, I think that that's, 
that's enough from us today. Uh, if you do want a lot more information about, you know, ways to improve fertility and egg quality and sperm quality and everything else, we have covered that, um, you know, quite extensively in earlier episodes. So please feel free to scroll back through the list and start um, listening to those ones again. So, ladies, you've been listening to Wellness Women Radio. Thank you again for joining us. We are the Wellness Women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health. And until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.